chapter five of one thing needful this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org one thing needful by mary elizabeth braddon chapter five by degrees the human blossom blows the inquest upon jonathan boldwood was held next day and lord lashmar was present there were plenty of witnesses ready to describe his fall had more than one voice been necessary the firemen were exempted from all blame they had been working nobly on the other side of the building not one inhabitant had perished in that great populous hive the one fatal accident had been the death of the father in his endeavour to rescue his child no one came forward out of boldwood's past life to tell what the man had been or to testify to their interest in him when the coroner asked what had been done with the child lord lashmar stepped forward and said that he had adopted her and would hold himself responsible for her future welfare i don't think there is any one who will dispute that privilege with you my lord said the coroner i hope the child will grow up to be grateful to you for your noble conduct in saving her life there was a murmur of applause in the room as lord lashmar withdrew but before he left the tavern where the inquest had been held he told the authorities that he would pay for a decent funeral and a grave in the cemetery outside brum it was his particular desire that boldwood should not be buried by the parish he attended the funeral in person two days afterwards by no means an agreeable duty since all the rabble of brun turned out to do honour to their favourite agitator but lashmar told himself that the day would come when stella would question him about her father's burial would ask to be taken to her father's grave and he wanted to be able to tell her that he had stood beside that grave while the clouds of earth were cast upon the coffin while the words of promise and of hope were spoken so lashmar stood beside the parson as he shuffled over those sublime words and his was the first hand that dropped flowers summer's whitest roses upon the demagogue's coffin the crowd pressed forward to stare down into the grave and many a grimy hand scattered hedgerow wildlings and humble cottage flowers on the lid of the huge oak coffin there were women among the crowd who wept women who had never heard the orator but who felt as if they had lost a friend had he not pleaded the cause of the poor against the rich had he not given voice to that deep undertone of discontent which had been growing stronger day by day with the advance of education the last of the summer roses had bloomed and faded long before stella ceased from piteous entreaties to be taken to her daddy she was gentle and obedient to her benefactor was gradually growing attached to him she took pleasure in his society loved the river and the gardens the meadows and flowery banks the picture-books in the library where she used to sit upon the floor quietly turning the leaves of an illustrated volume while lashmar read or wrote undisturbed by her presence she thrived in betsy barker's care and was happy in the comfort and the brightness of her new life but young as she was she did not forget a cloud would come over her face in the midst of her happiness and the tears would roll down her cheeks as she asked will daddy never come sometimes lashmar regretted that he had not told her the truth at the very first and questioned his own wisdom in not having striven to make her young mind comprehend the meaning of that dreadful word death but having deceived her so long he could not undeceive her now he could but talk in his vague poetic way of that bright and beautiful country in which they were all to dwell together some day once she asked the name of that distant land and he told her it was jerusalem the golden never did she see a stranger in the house or the gardens without running up to him looking up in his face interrogatively 
lest by any chance this should be daddy come back to her unawares the vision of a tall man with broad shoulders resulted inevitably in the bitterest disappointment the figure seen from a distance perchance had looked so like daddy she had run to him and caught hold of his coat-tails calling him by that dear name and oh the agony of seeing an unfamiliar face looking wonderingly down at her she had cried herself to sleep more than once after such a disappointment as this she was a very intelligent child grave beyond her years full of serious thoughts and curious questionings a young mind alive with wonder she wanted to know about the sun and moon and stars the earth and all creatures that dwell thereon those picture-books afforded perpetual subjects for wonder they were the stepping-stones to knowledge of all things great and small from the relics of agamemnon's tomb to the last discovery about ants or aphids lashmar was infinitely patient with this human plaything of his he would lay aside plato to answer stella's childish questioning to explain a picture to tell her a story he to whom books were life itself the charm and rapture of existence would shut his best-loved author and devote himself for an hour at a time to the task of satisfying this eager young mind impatient with the intensity of its desire for knowledge boldwood had taught his child a great deal had talked to her of subjects far beyond her years he had taught her as a man of large brain and lazy habits would be likely to teach he had taken her on his lap and talked to her at random roaming from subject to subject now telling her some legend of the old greek fairyland and now some strange fact about the manners and customs of crocodiles there was one subject which he had never touched upon he had told her nothing about her god it was left for lashmar to teach her to pray that first simple form of prayer which he had learnt years ago from his nursery governess came back to his memory one evening when the child was bidding him good-night in the summer dusk stella i hope you say your prayers beside your little bed every night and morning he said what are prayers she asked betsy said i ought to say my prayers but i don't know what it means did daddy never teach you to pray stella she shook her head if it was good he would have taught me she said he was always good to stella prayer is good for all of us dear daddy may have thought you too young to pray too young to understand about the god who created you and all of us and whom we all ought to love and to fear daddy said there was no god he said only fools believed in god my little girl if we want to be happy we must have something higher and better than ourselves to look up to we want the consciousness of a friend and protector watching over us and caring for us happily most of us have that consciousness it is born with us a part of our being takes strange and various forms in different lands but is always the same instinct a looking upward and then feeling that his words were outside the child's comprehension he drew her to his breast and told her the story of jesus told her that sweet story in its simplest and most human phase the holy child on his mother's knee the baptism in the river the spirit of god descending from the parted skies in the form of a dove the man of sorrows the story of the cross and the grave the child listened her eyes wide with wonder daddy did not know or he would have loved jesus she said and then lashmar told her the first four lines of that childish prayer which he had learnt from his governess three and twenty years before gentle jesus meek and mild look upon a little child stella repeated the words after him in her clear sweet tones the first prayer those lips had ever syllabled other prayers followed the lord's prayer first and chiefest and betsy's conscience was relieved of a burden stella had lived nearly a month at the castle before she encountered lady lashmar the dowager had gone up to london with victorian and taken him to eton and had spent a week at windsor in order to soften the agony of parting with her idol she saw him in the playing fields she saw him on the river and his young beauty seemed to her the perfection of ripening manhood she talked to him of his future his career emphasizing the word with heroic meaning trying to kindle the fire of ambition in that young mind 
as a younger son you are bound to distinguish yourself victor she said your poor brother is lord lashmar he can afford to dream away his days in a library but you will have no distinction except that which you may win for yourself you must be the architect of your own fortunes i wouldn't much mind being the architect said victor but i don't want to be the builder not to have to lay brick upon brick and carry the hot of mortar don't you know not to have to work my way upward inch by inch as some poor beggars do in the church or in the law you need have no profession but politics that's deuced slow work and deuced hard work i'm told one has to drudge over blue books and cram statistics and sit in the house on summer afternoons to ask questions when life and fashion are at flood tide outside if i could make a great speech now upon some burning question at midnight and wake next morning to find myself famous ah that is the way with boys they want to succeed without working for success mother said the boy coming closer to her and lowering his voice do you know some of the fellows here have told me that i should be a fool to work because i must be lord lashmar before i am many years older poor lash has such shocking bad health don't you know that and it isn't likely he'll last long whoever taught you to think that you will be lord lashmar is your worst enemy said his mother severely lashmar suffers a martyrdom from neuralgia poor fellow but there is nothing organically wrong sir william spencer told him that he may live to be an old man i'm glad to hear it said the boy for i'm very fond of old lash he has always been a good brother to me as for working well i don't like work who does but i always try to be top of the tree everywhere and i shall try to be top of the tree at st stephen's by and by i should go in for aristocratic radicalism victorian cried her ladyship growing pale with horror there's no one succeeds better than your swell rad look at maupertius for instance who has got the ear of the house half so well as he has a man born in the purple makes such a grand effect when he calmly expounds the theories of advanced socialism i shall go in for the kind of gospel that poor beggar bold would preach so eloquently only i shall be as mild as maupertius don't you know and i shall be the wit of the house nothing tells like wit but wit is one of the few things that cannot be learnt said the mother smiling fondly at her boy's arrogance a man cannot be either a tenor singer or a wit for the wishing we shall see answered victorian confidently if i go into the house it will be to make the members laugh with me not at me mother i would have you full to the brim of ambition said her ladyship kissing the broad strong brow i do not mind your being self-confident vain even so long as you are earnest and industrious this was their parting interview lady lashmar had never so much as hinted at her own hope of her son's succession to his half-brother's honours and now she breathed not one word of the bitter blow which spencer's favourable opinion had been to her she felt now that the hope had been wicked unnatural yet she told herself that she had always done her duty to her stepson and that nothing could ever make her falter in her performance of that duty if it had pleased providence to relieve him of the burden of existence it would have seemed to her that providence had acted wisely and beneficially alike for lashmar and for victorian but lady pitland's second daughter had been too well brought up to be capable of rebellion against providence it was not in vain that she went to church twice on sundays and once on every saint's day not even slighting the minor saints by non-attendance she was eminently orthodox in her ideas and she bowed with dignified submission to the inscrutable she went back to middleshire and was cordially received by her stepson who was at the station to meet her testifying to that respect which was her due he was standing on the platform when the train stopped and her ladyship thought she had never seen him looking so well i shouldn't wonder if sir william were right he looks as if, as if he might live to be ninety she said to herself and then with a sigh she murmured poor victorian orthodox as she was it could but seem to her a hardship that her son in his strength and perfection of manhood should be kept in the background by this blighted life 
how brown you have grown lashmar she said as they shook hands and how well you are looking i have not had one of my headaches since you left i suppose it is because i have lived more out of doors than i used to do i should advise you always to live out of doors replied his stepmother with a forced laugh she was grave and silent as they drove home excused herself for being dull and stupid on the ground of fatigue not one question did she ask about lashmar's protege yet the thought of boldwood's child was in her mind as they drew near the castle it was on account of this brat no doubt that lashmar had been spending his life in the gardens bronzing himself to the complexion of a ploughboy it was this whim which had given new brightness to his aspect a new impetus to his life lady lashmar was far too orthodox to be angry with providence but she felt that she might be as angry as she liked with boldwood's daughter she stood upon her balcony next morning wrapped in her dressing-gown tasting the sweet freshness of the air that swept over woodland and meadow and rippled the waveless of the river yonder far away in the rose-garden a quaint old quadrangle of turf and rose-trees hedged in with clipped yew she saw two figures lashmars and a little girl in a white frock the child was flitting from flower to flower the man was sauntering up and down the grass reading but he looked round every now and then at the child and occasionally stopped and bent down to talk to her lady lashmar stood for a long time watching them was there ever such an absurd infatuation she said to herself contemptuously it was nearly a week later when she met the child for the first time in the corridor stella was alone tripping along gaily holding up a lap full of wild flowers free independent happy she had just come in from a morning spent on the river in lashmar's boat her ladyship laid her hand upon the child's shoulder and bent down to scrutinize the small sallow face ugly well no not so ugly as she had thought that night the small features were too delicately moulded for ugliness the eyes were wonderful too large too dark for childish beauty but in a woman they would have been eyes worthy of cleopatra i shouldn't wonder if the creature were to grow up into a handsome woman thought her ladyship and then the chances are that lashmar will marry her with his eccentric ideas there would be nothing extraordinary in such a marriage let me see she is five it will be twelve or thirteen years before she is marriageable that is comfort and in the meantime she may hinder his marrying any one else there was comfort also in this last idea and yet lady lashmar could not bring herself to regard the child as anything but a viper what is your name she asked sternly stella answered the child looking up at her ladyship calmly unabashed by grandeur of presence or splendour of raiment or by the frown which contracted the questioner's dark brows stella a fine theatrical name upon my word i suppose it was lashmar who called you stella it was my daddy he called me stella do you know where he is looking up eagerly with sudden interest her ladyship was on the point of replying in another instant the hard bitter truth would have been spoken had not lashmar come out of the library close by and interrupted the conversation so you have been talking to stella he said cheerily don't you think she has improved in betsy's care betsy has dressed her a great deal too fine said her ladyship with a scornful glance at the cream-coloured frock and scarlet sash the scarlet shoes and the coral necklace on the little throat which had the yellowish whiteness of ivory oh i like her to look pretty she brings stray gleams of beauty into the dullness of a student's life there you can run away stella run away and get your dinner and come to me at again at four o'clock for your reading lesson good-bye till four he stooped to kiss her and dismissed her with a smile she tripped away murmuring four o'clock four o'clock go again at four o'clock in a kind of tune as if to impress the fact upon her mind lady lashmar felt the uselessness of argument with her stepson that quietly determined temper of his had always baffled her in any dispute which involved earnest purpose on his side in trifles he was always ready to give way to her he allowed her to reign undisputed mistress of a house which by inheritance was all his own 
he allowed her to spend as much of his money as ever she cared to spend in the maintenance of a state which was far beyond his desires but wherever feeling or affection was concerned he had his own way her ladyship had wished to get rid of the old bookworm tutor when lashmar came of age the man had taught his pupil all he could teach he was a shabby-looking dominie sampsonish personage whose dingy presence was a blot upon the elegance of lashmar castle he was receiving two hundred a year for doing nothing but when these views of hers were made known to lashmar he informed her that he meant gabriel verner to end his days at the castle verner is too old to go among new faces or to learn new habits he said he will be very useful to me as a librarian and secretary he can take care of my books and write my business letters he has no more idea of business than one of those peacocks said her ladyship looking absently out upon the terrace where juno's birds were spreading their plumes in the sunshine fortunately i have i can always tell him what to say so gabriel verner stayed a quaint old figure with shoulders so bent and rounded by stooping over books that he too seemed a hunchback lady lashmar sometimes thought that he had cultivated a hump by way of mute flattery he was a harmless old man small and pale with a large overhanging brow and silvery hair which he wore long like milton to whom he fancied that he bore a striking resemblance he had an inoffensive kind of intellectual vanity and was engaged upon an elaborate commentary on aristotle's metaphysics which he feared to publish lest he should become suddenly famous in the decline of his life and sink into the grave crushed by the weight of his laurels like tarpeia under the bracelets of the besiegers he contrived to live at the castle without obtruding himself upon its proud mistress he had his private sitting-room near the library where he dwelt alone when he was not with lashmar once in a way when she was in a benevolent mood lady lashmar invited him to lunch or if she had a learned visitor she would go so far as to ask mr verner to dinner in order that he might relieve her of her burden and do all necessary listening and sympathizing in her stead gradually she had become resigned to the idea that he was to end his days at lashmar she even knitted warm comforters for him which he used to wear and speak of with reverence as her ladyship's little attentions it was to gabriel verner that lady lashmar now turned for sympathy she joined him on the terrace that afternoon while he was taking his constitutional walk after his temperate luncheon trotting up and down with a volume of german metaphysics under his arm a book to which he applied himself for a few minutes ever and anon reading a little bit and then pacing up and down my dear mr verner how well you are looking cried her ladyship ever so much better than when i left the castle i think it must be because i have been more in the open air replied the old man unconsciously answering just as lashmar had answered his lordship and i have been spending our days on the river during the late glorious weather we have taken our books and our luncheon and his lordship's latest plaything that horrid child interrupted lady lashmar i can assure your ladyship that the little girl is a most amenable child and a very interesting companion i never saw so young an intellect of such scope and development it induces me to think with aristotle that as in the young of some of the lower mammals the of course the child must be sharp cunning old-fashioned she is the child of sedition and free thought the child of a man whose intellectual powers were employed only in doing mischief i am not surprised that you should think the child clever a few years hence she will be a great deal too clever for any of us a source of unspeakable mischief unless you dear mr verner can exercise your great influence over lashmar for you have great influence over him my dear sir he positively adores you and thinks your book will revolutionize european thought the phrase was large but when lady lashmar had her own purpose to gain she always did things largely you are too kind murmured the aristotelian meekly 
yes dear mr vernon she hurried on you must really bring your superior brain to bear upon poor lashmar he is clever but a mere dreamer you must show him the danger involved in this folly of his the incubus he is preparing for himself in the future what in heaven's name is he to do with this child by and by if she should turn out badly and of course she will turn out badly i have a profound belief in hereditary instinct and i dear lady lashmar have an equally profound belief in education not for worlds would i thwart lashmar in this fancy of his remember he saved that baby's life at the hazard of his own she is his a god-given boon he has seemed ever so much happier since she has been here she interests she amuses him she takes him out of himself and think what a blessing that self-forgetfulness must needs be in such a case as his where nature in justa nowhere ca has been so unkind gabriel verner stopped in some confusion what if that phrase in justa noverca should seem personal happily lady lashmar had been educated at a period when young ladies were not taught latin do not fear the result continued verner i will be responsible for the child's training and i pledge myself that education shall conquer evil instincts if there is anything evil in that young character lady lashmar pushed the argument no further there was evidently no help to be obtained here i must go and put on my bonnet she said rather shortly i have a round of tiresome calls to make i will leave you to your beloved plato the aristotelian shuddered at that hated name to think that after all these years of intercourse after having had the nature of his studies and lucubration so often expounded to her lady lashmar did not yet know to which school he belonged for six years of young fresh life stella boldwood was almost entirely happy she lived in a world where all things were new to the dweller in the tents of the people an actual world of beauty and luxury which knew not change a world of thought whose horizon widened with every day of her existence education to stella was as sunlight to the flowers or springtime to the birds her eager mind opened to receive the treasures of knowledge her vivid imagination shed its own brightness upon every subject and she was taught as seldom children are taught in this superenlightened age of ours she was taught as sweetly and as pleasantly as children are told the legends of fairyland on a mother's knee lashmar devised his own system of education she was to learn nothing in which she was not interested to repeat no dry formulae parrot-wise she was to be troubled with none of those abstruse technicalities which the modern grammarian has devised for the torture of childhood the story of the earth on which she lived was not to be made odious to her by dry scraps of science long rows of figures altitudes of mountains lengths of rivers she was to learn the beauty and the glory of the universe unawares out of picture-books and tales of travel and adventure instead of knocking her poor little head against a row of unfriendly figures in order to learn the exact height of such and such peaks of the andes or the himalayas she was in fancy to roam those mountains to tremble on the edge of stern precipices to gather strange flowers that bloom in their remoteness to make acquaintance with strange creatures that dwell in those inaccessible regions she would sit for hours at lashmar's feet listening to the experiences of some hardy explorer and then with her babyish pencil she would draw fancy pictures of the wild lonely hills the gigantic lakes and awful woods the world which to her vivid imagination was as familiar as the meadows and orchards of middleshire lashmar taught his pupil history in a series of narrations beginning with the bible stories of that far-away patriarchal world in which good men dwelt under the personal protection of their god holding constant converse with heaven and working gradually downwards through the dark mystery of egypt to the fair dawn of greece he lingered long and lovingly over that fairy land of olympus he was steeped to the lips in greek legend hesiod and homer and all the homeric hymns and stella loved to hear these fair myths of a world that is dead asked again and again for stories of dionysus and demeter of helen and paris of hector and achilles of ajax and agamemnon 
stories terrible and stories beautiful stories at which her hair seemed to rise with horror stories which brought back the happy smile to the young lips in the boat beneath the willows on sultriest summer afternoons or beside the winter fire betwixt afternoon tea and the eight o'clock dinner stella's education was always going on an education of legend and history poetry in fact an education of oral instruction which exacted no labour from the growing brain an education which was always sowing the seed and never reaping the harvest that was to come later gabriel verner took the child in hand for an hour every morning he taught her to read and write and cipher that was the only drudgery of her education all the rest was learnt at lashmar's knee their life crept onward with a monotony which to any one except a student would have been intolerable lady lashmar came and went she was in grosvenor square for the season she spent all one summer at hamburg for her gout taking victorian with her she took him for another vacation to the engadine she spent a month with him in paris but except for an occasional week in the picture-seeing season lord lashmar rarely went to london he found contentment occupation variety in that matchless library which was the pride of lashmar castle and he found recreation and amusement in the society of his adopted daughter and thus in the lap of luxury beloved and cherished jonathan boldwood's daughter arrived at her eleventh birthday she had remembered her birthday young as she was and had been able to tell her benefactor the exact date because it was a day with a name this dark child with the star-like eyes had begun life upon midsummer day lashmar questioned her sometimes about her earliest experiences very gently lest he should evoke sad memories revive her passionate grief for her father perhaps he asked her if her father had ever told her anything about her mother or of his own life yes he had told her that he was once a gentleman that he was born in a great house near the sea far away on the scottish border he had told her that her mother was beautiful and ought to have been rich this told vaguely as a child would relate shreds and patches of half-remembered speech was all that lashmar could obtain by his questioning after all the past history of jonathan boldwood could matter very little there was evidently no one to claim the child and that in lashmar's mind was the main point only one relic of the dead man had been saved from the fire a small tin cash-box with the initials j b had been found among the ashes and rubbish below that portion of the ruined pile in which boldwood's rooms had been situated it was identified as his by a fellow-lodger and was ultimately handed over to lashmar together with the key which had been found hanging on his steel watch-chain watch-chain and key were given up to lashmar after the inquest the contents of the casket were disappointing it contained papers which the smoke had blackened so as to be utterly undecipherable the original form was there but reduced almost to tinder the matter had vanished the only uninjured object was a miniature in a double gold case which had better resisted the action of the fire than the ill-made metal box the miniature was an old-fashioned painting upon ivory the portrait of a man in the prime of life a grave dark face with large dark eyes and a high bald forehead lashmar judged by the peculiar form of the beard and coat-collar that the original had been a foreigner the type was un-english he showed stella the picture and asked her if she had ever seen it before no never what was it who was it lashmar sealed up the sheets of tindery paper in a large envelope and subscribed it carefully burned papers found in boldwood's cash-box with the place and date he cleaned up the cash-box and put the miniature and the papers back into it locked it and tied the key to the handle then wrote a label this box is stella boldwood's property the only thing safe from her father's lodgings he put the box in a locked bookcase where he kept some of his most valuable books a priceless to cameron an old copy of rabelais and some of the least respectable among the classics from the printing press of mediaeval venice End of chapter five